Times have changed. I remember Vacation Bible School, and so many of you who grew up in Baptist life, uh, you know, Vacation Bible School 25 years ago was nothing like this. Um, In Vacation Bible School, as I was growing up, we would all assemble on the front porch. It was an honor to be selected to carry either the Christian flag, the American flag, or the Bible. And you marched in. And you marched in in single file line uh, after the flags of the Bible. And you would get into the middle of those pews. And you would sing Onward Christian Soldiers. You would sing um, uh, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. Uh, And that was staples every single year. Holy Bible, Book Divine, uh, these songs. And then back in 1996, something happened that took all of that away. Something else happened in 1996 when they took all that away. Kids came in droves far more than they had ever done it before because it was exciting. It was enthusiastic. And the interesting thing is for me, I accepted Christ in 1986 as a direct result of Vacation Bible School. It's not... The props, it's not the lighting, it's not the, the exciting, upbeat music, it's Jesus. Jesus Christ changes people's lives. We are fortunate here to have gifts and talents that can do this sort of stuff. Uh, we're able to have the lighting and the sound and all these things and, and it's amazing But it doesn't save children, and it doesn't save adults. Jesus Christ saves people. And the amazing thing is that just as Jesus was in uh, the role of saving people's lives long ago, he's in the role of saving people's lives today. In Acts chapter 2, we run into a God who is overwhelming. God shows up in an overwhelming way. I mean, I I want you to think about this. Uh, Let's put it in modern-day vernacular, a modern-day scenario. Uh, When Sunday came, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly, like a sound or the blowing of a violent wind from heaven, a wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I want you to imagine that. You've shown up on Sunday, you've gathered together, you've assembled in this place, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. God moves in in a way that you've not seen before, in an experience that you have not experienced before. And then it says that the congregation, they had to be Pentecostal, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See, this is not a Baptist church, okay? Uh, and and here's, I'm, I'm going to go out there today because I want you to know something, that speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift, Okay? Uh, and I know that you say, well, uh, uh, should we speak in tongues? No, you shouldn't speak in tongues unless the Spirit enables you. 
Uh, I myself have never spoken in tongues, but I want to be very careful about us taking something that's scriptural and saying, well, that's not biblical. Speaking in tongues is not biblical. Well, it's right here. It happened. And it happened throughout the New Testament uh, in, in various ways. And there's some guidelines about, and I'm not going into that today, but I want you to know that God showed up in an amazing way, in an overwhelming way, and the people, the people were absolutely overcome by the power of God and the Spirit of God in that moment. That is when worship happens. Worship happens when we are so overwhelmed by the very presence of God that it takes us to a place that we could never ask or imagine. That's the goal. Listen, that's the goal every single day for our lives that we would have an overwhelming experience with the Almighty, that we would experience God in an overwhelming way where all we could say is it's all about him. Now the problem with uh, the modern day is that we're not amazed by things anymore because we've gotten very smart and we're technologically advanced and so we can create and replicate a lot of things and, and make them happen and, and kind of give in to the oohs and the ahs and, and we're, not, we're not amazed because Hollywood does a lot of things that are amazing. But I, I want to say that there's a difference in what we can do and what God can do, because God can overwhelm us in so many ways, so, so, so much differently than what humankind can. Some of you have been overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. You've been overwhelmed by the work of God in your life. And for those of you that that's happened to, you know that it was the Lord. And there's nothing, there's no words to describe an experience with Him. Uh, you know, I would say, it's, some people would ask me, is it emotional? Well, of course it is. Uh, every experience with God can be an emotional experience, but it goes deeper than mere emotions. Because, listen, you can have an emotional high without having a spiritual high. All you have to do is go to a football game. Now, some of you might equate that emotional high with a spiritual high, but they are different. Going to a Tennessee game, going to Elizabethan football game, going to uh, any, any, any pro game can be an emotional high for us. But there needs to be an emo the difference between an emotional high that we experience as a result of a special event, like a sporting event or whatnot, and the experience that we have with God. When's the last time that you and I were overwhelmed by the Spirit of God? The problem for a lot of us is, for some of us, it's been quite a while. God's desire is to move in our lives in drastic ways, in tangible ways. And for us to be so moved by God that we are transformed into becoming the person that he has designed us to be. These people in Acts chapter 2 showed up and they assembled together and they were in that place and all of a sudden a sound like a blowing and violent wind came from heaven and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire come down and rest on each of them. Let me tell you something. If you weren't in the mood for a spiritual moment in that day, you would have had one anyway. Because it was an amazing, overwhelming event. God often 
overwhelms his audience. God often overwhelms his people. Because God consistently wants to remind us of who is in charge, who is in control, who is all-powerful, who is the creator, who is the sustainer, and who is the deliverer of our lives. God often overwhelms his audience. And they were so overwhelmed that what they do is they start drawing on their own logic. And they say, oh, these people must be drunk. They have to be drunk. They're speaking like... That's what they say. And then Peter steps out and he says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. These people are not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. We haven't even had a party yet. In other words, that's what Peter said. We haven't even unleashed the barrels of wine. We've not, listen, we've not even entertained. We've not even start gorging ourselves with food and wine. It's 9 a.m. And then Peter stands up and he gives this great sermon about how Christ is at the center of life. Christ is the purpose that God deliberately put Christ in the path so that he could have the potential to deliver the world from its sinfulness. And as a result of Peter stepping forward, people received Jesus. God often overwhelms his audience. Like the blowing of a violent wind... Like tongues of fire that come and rest on each of them. The Spirit enabled them to do what they could not have done by themselves. And I've said uh, time and time from this pulpit that if our role at First Baptist Church is simply to do church the way we've always done it, then we will never fulfill the will of God and His purposes for our lives. Because if you and I can do church, listen, most of us can do church and we don't even need Him. Anything that we can do without the Lord and do it successfully should never be done in the body of Christ. The body of Christ needs to do only the things that we desperately need God to do and move in our lives. Things that we cannot do. We need Him every hour, every second of every day to accomplish the God-sized task. And in my life, in my 39 years, I've been in, in, in a dozen churches. And what I've seen that most of the time, most of the time, the churches where I've been as a layperson, and that even the churches that I've served... We've just been doing church. And before long, we think we're pretty good at it. And the reason that we think that we're good at it, and the reason we base our success and we think that we're successful, is because people gravitate towards that experience and numbers start popping up. And, and here's, here's what I would say as, as a health checkup this morning. We could say, gosh, First Baptist Church is a healthy church because there's a lot of people that come and we have visitors every week. Numbers cannot be equated automatically to spiritual health. We could run 5,000 and we could have 5,000 lost people assembling in this place on Sunday. The question is, are we being overwhelmed by the almighty, powerful God that's called us to salvation... And has called us to his purpose. Are we just going through the motions of the Christian walk? 
Are we attempting to look and talk like someone else that we see? Maybe we're looking to some, uh, maybe we're looking at one of our peers, maybe we're looking at Chris, maybe we're looking at, at me, maybe we're looking at one of the deacons, maybe whoever, whoever your person might be. Listen, don't look at me as an example of faith. Look to Jesus. He's the one that's going to overwhelm you. I will disappoint you. Look to Jesus. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have standards and we shouldn't try to be good and we shouldn't try to be moral agents and we shouldn't try to be uh, great followers of Christ. But what I see a lot in churches today is we have a great desire just to grow numbers in the church. Let's just fill the pews. Let's just fill the pews. Because numbers has been equated to success. Jesus doesn't want your number. Jesus wants you. Jesus doesn't want us to be big. Jesus wants us to be God-sized. Jesus doesn't want us just to do church. Jesus wants us to be His church for His community in this time and this place for His glory. God has the ability, amazing ability, to overwhelm his audience. When is the last time that you've been overwhelmed by him? The other thing I want you to notice in verse 17 of the passage, after Peter stands up amongst the eleven, raises his voice and addresses the crowd, in verse 17, he quotes back to Joel... And he says, in the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. In other words, God cannot be contained. You and I get pretty good at boxing God in. And listen, most, most people today want just enough God to make others think that, you know, that everything's all's right with their life and all's right with the world. Very few people want to be completely overwhelmed by Him. Because when you and I are overwhelmed by an Almighty God, we lose control. We're not in control anymore. And, and, and I'm very good at compartmentalizing things, as many of you are. And, and for years, I compartmentalized God. And God was in a box. And I went to that box on Sunday, and I took God out of that box on Sunday. I went to get my Bible, which was dusty from the week before, and I would carry it. And I would actually bend some of the pages so people would think I was reading the Bible. And so I would take that to church. I would go to church and go through the motions. Listen, I had perfect attendance in Sunday school for 15 years. Never missed a Sunday for 15 years. I had all the pens to prove it. I jumped through the hoops. I was a good little Southern Baptist. But being a good little Southern Baptist and jumping through the hoops and going to church every Sunday doesn't give you a key to the kingdom. What gives you a key to the kingdom? Jesus. You can know a lot of things about Christ. You can know that He loves you. You can believe that He died on the cross for your sins in an intellectual way. But have you surrendered your life to Him? Have you fully been overwhelmed 
by the Spirit of God? Have you quit trying to contain Him? Have you quit trying to put Him in a box? It says God's Spirit will be poured out on all people. And what I also want you to know is when God's Spirit is poured out on all people... It doesn't say God's Spirit is poured out on the church. It doesn't say God's Spirit is poured out on the saved. It says God's Spirit is poured out on all people. That means lost people. The Spirit of God has been poured out to them in these last days. If we're in these last days. And the thing about it is, just because someone appears to be a follower of Christ... Just because someone appears to have the Spirit of God in them doesn't mean that they do. Because in the last days, He will pour His Spirit on all people. And it goes to great length to say, uh, it says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on the servants, the lowest of people, both men and women, I will pour out on my Spirit and they will prophesy. What does it mean? In other words, They will impart truth. They will give truth. They will impart the truthfulness of who I am. Here, listen. People don't have to be followers of Christ to impart His truth. You say, well, what's your biblical reference for that? Well, God uses not just human beings to impart His truth. All you have to do is go back to Numbers, and you look at an early part of Numbers, and you'll see that, that, uh, that God spoke through Balaam's donkey to impart truth. And we would not argue that that donkey was saved. Well, some of you might, but you'd be wrong. Uh, donkeys can't be saved because animals do not have souls. Okay? God imparts truth through a lot of different people, including the lost. Therefore, you cannot put your faith and trust in people. Because people sometimes are what they say, and then sometimes they're not what they say. And some of you, most of us in this room would say, you know what, I know people like that. I know people that I thought had my back, or I know people that I thought were believers, or I know people that I thought were followers of Christ, but things just don't add up. I mean, they spoke the truth, They delivered the truth of God, but it just didn't quite equate when you look at their life. Why? Well, one thing is, God's Spirit can't be contained. It overflows, it overwhelms, and it goes on everybody. But then if you notice the summation of the Joel passage, it says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And then verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So his spirit is poured out. But only those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. People will prophesy. People will tell you the truth. People will point you to the truth. But just because they point you to the truth doesn't mean that they're living in the truth and doesn't mean that they have called on the name of the Most High God. The only way that you and I can be saved is not by spreading the truth of God around. It is by calling on the name that's above every name and surrendering our lives to Him. That is how salvation comes. That's why in this world in which we live, and that's why when we look at the scripture, 
when you have these people that were followers or they allegedly followed Christ and, and, and the Lord comes and they stand before him and Jesus is away from me, I never knew you. And, and the, the kind of the conversation goes, well, Lord, we, we taught in your name, we healed in your name. Well, you may have spoken the truth, you may have preached, you may have given a, a good sermonette, you may have spread my love and spread my truth around but away from me, I never knew you. Why? Because only those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is not automatic. You don't get born into it. Just because your father or your mother was a believer doesn't mean that you're a believer. Just because uh, your uncle was a pastor or your grandfather was a pastor doesn't mean that you're a believer. Just because your daddy was a preacher doesn't mean that you need to be a preacher. Just because your grandfather was a high roller doesn't mean that you need to be a high roller. Just because your father was detrimental to you, it doesn't mean that you need to be detrimental to your children. Quit living in the shadow of your experience and be overwhelmed by an amazing God who's pouring out His Spirit on all people. Who gives us the ability to share His truth, to share His love, to share His compassion... Because these people that assembled in Acts chapter 2, when they were overwhelmed by the outpouring of God's Spirit, when He showed up in a dramatic way, when the wind blew open the doors and the windows, and they were afraid, and when they were accused of being drunk, finally there's somebody, a person of truth that stands forward and starts telling and preaching, and it's Peter, and he gives them this information, that God's Spirit is being poured out. And then he tells them, people in the congregation, listen to what I'm telling you. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. You saw them. Wonders and signs, you've experienced them, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, you were witnesses to this. This man was handed over to you by God deliberate in a deliberate God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death. What is Peter telling him? Peter is telling the church right there that group of people that assembled that day. You know what put Jesus to death? It wasn't the Roman emperor. It wasn't the Roman government. It wasn't the Jews. What put Jesus to death were sinners like you and me. Therefore, the immediate audience of Acts chapter 2 has culpability and responsibility to the act of crucifying Christ. And guess what? If you're a sinner, and we all are, we have that same culpability. We are the ones, according to God's deliberate plan, but we are the ones that have rejected Christ through our sinfulness and have put him on the cross. But then verse 24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then Peter goes on to explain what David said about him because David was a very well-respected person to the audience that Peter was speaking to. And then he talks about the fact that David died and was buried and in, is in his tomb to this very day. 
And he says he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection. In other words, he spoke of Jesus and spoke of what would happen to Jesus having uh, experienced death and to be exalted to the right hand of God. And uh, then he goes on and he says, Therefore let all Israel, in other words, let all of you be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37 is probably the most pivotal verse of the passage. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what did they say? They said, brothers, what shall we do? In other words, what do we do now? What should we do? When you and I are overwhelmed by God, and it's more than just an emotional height, but when you and I have reached a a point in our journey, when we recognize how sinful we are, when we recognize that we are in need of being fixed, that we are broken, that on our best day we we just can't produce what we want to produce, On the best day of our lives, we still are depraved. We are still broken. And we're in need of someone. We're in need of Jesus. We're in need of a Savior. We're in need of a healer. We're in need of a sustainer. We're in need of a deliverer. Recognizing that mentally is not the same as recognizing it spiritually. And often our minds venture into places long before our hearts do. But I want you to know to verse 37, it says that the people were cut to the heart. When you and I are cut to the heart with the message and hope of Christ, we will be absolutely overwhelmed in that moment. And the purpose of being cut to heart is not that we merely experience an overwhelming sensation. The point of being cut to the heart is so that we can have lives that are radically transformed and radically that are changed. Every single person in this room needs a Savior. Every single person in this room needs hope. Every single person in this room needs Jesus. But do we recognize that for what it is? Have we been cut to the heart? I'm not asking you if when you accepted Christ, whether you cried. I'm not asking you where you were tormented in your sin or whether you were in agony. I'm asking you if your heart has been changed by the only person who can truly change it. I'm not asking you whether you feel fixed. I'm not asking you whether you feel good. I'm not asking you if you look at Christ like an energy drink and an energy boost. I'm asking you, has Jesus Christ radically cut you to the heart and changed your life? Have you been overwhelmed by the amazing work of the Lord. God's spirit is poured out on all people. Men and women will tell the truth. Visions and dreams will happen because God's spirit is limitless. His spirit reaches all people. 
And salvation is limited to those who call on His name. But then I want you to notice the beauty in closing today. When they ask, what shall we do? Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and I love this second part of this, and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, Christ's hope and Christ's salvation is for those who are near and for those who are far. God's love is deep. God's love is wide. God's love reaches to the highest heights and it reaches to the lowest lows. There is no place that your life will ever take you that God's love, His presence, and His Spirit cannot find you. Whether you are near this morning or whether you are far off, whether you have family that's near or whether the family is far off, whether you have brothers and sisters or relatives or moms and dads or grandparents or whether your children, whether they are near or whether they are so far away from Him. Christ bridges the gap. We will never venture to a place where God's grace is not sufficient. And we will never journey farther than God's grace can find us. So here's the message of hope this morning. As we officially begin Vacation Bible School tonight, and as we talk about, and you'll see the points this week about how Jesus loves us, how He gives us love, how He gives us courage, how Jesus gives us hope, how He gives us direction, how Jesus gives us His power. He does all these things because His Spirit is overflowing and His desire is to overwhelm us in our moment. The reality this morning is for every single person in the pew, for every single person that's been on stage, we're not all at the same place today. Some of us are nearer. Some of us are more distant. But God's love reaches the breadth of that length. And His hope and His purpose for you and His purpose for children this week is the simplicity of the gospel. That you and I would trust in Christ, that we would be overwhelmed in the moment by Him, and that we would surrender and call on His name, because there is no other name under heaven by which, through which, or for which, that you and I can be saved. It's why we do Vacation Bible School. It's why we do missions and ministry. To see people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. It's why we do camp. We go to Big Stuff camp. I don't go to Big Stuff because I view it as a vacation. As much as I love to spend time with students, it is not a vacation. I go to Big Stuff for one reason. I want to see each of you know Jesus and to grow in your relationship with Christ. Because I know 
that if you don't come to Christ by the time that you're 18, chances are you won't come to Christ in this lifetime. And though you may think that your life is difficult and tough now, I'm only going to tell you it does not get easier. You add a wife to the mix, oh. You add children to the mix, oh my heavens. You add your calling to the mix where I'm supposed to oversee all these people and you have ultimate chaos. And it's only by the grace of God as we are overwhelmed by Him, as we surrender to His call, as we surrender to His salvation, and as we call on His name that we truly, truly can have the life that we need. It's Jesus. It's all about Him. When's the last time you were overwhelmed by Him? When's the last time you recognized the Spirit's work in your life as it has enabled you to do amazing things? When's the last time you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Not just in words, not just in thought, not just in prayer. But when is the last time you surrendered to Jesus as a result of having your heart cut deep? By him. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for First Baptist Church. I thank you for our staff. I thank you for our leaders. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for visitors. I thank you for this community of Elizabethan. What an amazing place this is to serve. What an amazing place it is to grow in Christ. But Lord, let us not forget our need for you. And Lord, this morning as we enter a time of invitation in a few moments, I know there are people here today that will say, well, I walked an aisle a long time ago. And I, you know, I know who Jesus is. I mean, he died on the cross for my sins. And I know that he was born of the Virgin Mary. And I know that he was crucified and they put him in a tomb and he was resurrected. And now he sits at the right hand of God. And I don't understand everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit, but I, I think I have him. Father, forgive us for thinking. Give us the courage to know. Help us to know without a shadow of a doubt this morning whether we've called on you and whether our hearts have been radically transformed as a, res as a result of being cut to the essence of who we are. Lord, in this invitation, it's about what Christ has done for us. And the beauty of this moment is, no matter how good we think we are put together and no matter how good we may present this morning, the reality is we're lost without you. And it's not a matter of whether we were close or whether we were far off. If we're lost, we're lost. It doesn't matter if we were on the fringe or whether we were so far off the deep end. We're still lost. God, in these moments, I pray that you would close the gap. That you would draw us in for those who are far off and for those who have been distant, for those who are callous, for those who have been hurt and bruised and broken, for those who have been defined by so many circumstances without being defined by the overwhelming presence of your spirit in their lives. Lord, this invitation is for them. 
to know you, to call on your name, and to be saved. Be with us today as we make decisions. Because today, every single person in this room is going to make a decision in this very moment. We're either going to choose to surrender to Christ those things which have kept us from living the life that we believe we always wanted. Or we will fully surrender to Him. Lord, every person here, every spiritual journey that's present makes a decision. Are we going to be overwhelmed by an amazing God who loves us, who gives us hope, who gives us help, who gives us healing? Or are we going to continue to do it our own way? Give us the courage to make the right decision. Cut us to the heart. Love us to the very threshold of the cross. We will find that your grace is sufficient and that our sins, though many, and though our sins, though are great, are not as much and not as great as the sacrifice of Christ on a cross for us. The chains which we carry will never be as heavy as the chains from which we've been freed. So it's in this place and in this time that we respond to an amazing God who loves us immeasurably. And this invitation, whether it's the first time or the second time, or maybe there's been many times, this altar is open. God, may you do your business in this place, calling people to salvation, calling people to ministry, getting people plugged in to doing your work and to promoting and pursuing your will with your blessing. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to know that this, this is a great time for you. Uh, we, have, we have even hung lights for you this week. We want you to come. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to have a fulfilling life. We want you to surrender. We want you to experience something that words cannot describe. For others of you who have journeyed in this life and you have made some good decisions, you made some bad decisions, this morning you realize that you've gotten off kilter, that you've lost a sense of your direction. As the cliche goes, God allows beautiful U-turns. God is allowing you to come home. And if you've been the prodigal to go out and have your wild living and your wild life, I want you to know that we stand here confidently, confidently wanting you to come home. In this place and in this time, this altar is messy because this altar represents where we lay down our sin and we stand renewed in Christ. Leave your sin at the altar. We'll sweep it away after the service because God's already taken it upon himself. But as we stand, as we sing, however God has led you, however God leads you to respond, won't you come during this invitation? I'll be glad to pray with you. If you just need to pray at the altar, you do that. But let us join together. Let us respond. Let us seek his will in Christ.